praise the Lord. We're in chapter 11 now, praise the Lord. And there are 15 characters, there are 15 people in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 that God uses for an example for you and I to learn from. He has these 15 people, real people. Everybody say real people. They're just like you and I, man. They bled, they stumbled, they fumbled, they messed up. And this person that we're talking about this tonight in Hebrews 11, verse 11, is Sarah. Everybody say Sarah. There's two women out of those 15 named in Hebrews chapter 11. And she, of course, is the, if Abraham is the father of faith and the father of the nation of Israel, then Sarah is the mother of faith, and she is also the mother of all of Israel. Amen? And so, therefore, we need to also study Sarah like other people have studied Abraham because it says about Sarah. Matter of fact, I think I have a, a little more respect for Sarah than I do Abraham. And the reason is because two times Abraham let another man walk off with Sarah to protect himself. And he lied about her being his wife. He said she was his sister, she was his half-sister. They had the same mother, or same father, but a different mother. And as a result of that, you know, he, and back in those days they did some of that. But yet, I, I just have a, in my mind, I mean, it, people sin, they do stupid stuff. But I cannot imagine to protect my own life letting another man two times be to give your wife away for somebody else's sexual gratification and uh, so that you could protect yourself. And yet, God took his fear and turned him into the father of faith. So I don't care who you are and where you come from or what you're struggling with, think about what God can do with you. Amen. If God did it with him, God can do it with you. Sarah was married to that turkey. And she called him Lord. See, there's demonstration again that we don't respect and honor the person. We respect and honor the office or the position. We don't put our, hang our hat on that person, you know, like the office of the President of the United States right now. You know, hey, I pray for President Biden every day because he is our president and that's his office that he's in. I may not like him, but that has nothing to do with the fact that he is our president and the Bible tells me to pray for him. And it doesn't say curse him, it says pray for him, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. I think that's worth praying for, amen, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now, Sarah here, there's a lot of things here with Sarah that's uh, first. I just want to throw out some of these things because, one, she's also the, we would call the first lady of the nation of Israel. She's the mother of faith. Uh, her son, Isaac, is actually a type and a shadow, a pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was dead in her womb. She was 90 years old when she conceived, and so as a result of that, God took a dead womb and brought forth life in and through Isaac and a whole nation and multitudes, praise God, amen. And so that points to Jesus, who from a virgin, a womb that had never produced life, a womb that shouldn't be producing life, but because she had a word from God, her womb was able to produce life, so that was a type and a pointing to Jesus as well. We see that Isaac, you know, in Genesis 22, he was taken up on the mountain, and Abraham took him up there. Uh, you know, that was a type and a foreshadowing of Jesus being crucified and being, you know, 
God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. See, there's a lot of people in the Old Testament that are types and shadows of Jesus. Joseph is one, and so many others that point to Jesus. But there's only one man in the entire Bible that's a type of the Father God, and that's Abraham. Nobody else gave their son like Abraham did. Nobody else had only one son whom he loved and was willing to, you know, give him to the Father. And this is the reality that you want to See, God didn't want Isaac's life. What God wanted was Abraham's heart. See, there's things in our life, if we're not careful, we think God's trying to take something from us. God's not trying to take that particular item or person or thing from you. What God wants is your heart. Anything, anyone that has first place in your life other than God is an idol. Anybody and anything that is in the position of number one in your life, besides the Father, is an idol. And sometimes we don't realize how detrimental it is to our relationship with our Father in heaven. And so God said to Abraham, because I know, I know now that you love me, they're all all the things that, I mean, I'm going to just bless you, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people, and blessing is going to be on your life, praise the Lord. And so lots of times, you know, the things that we're struggling with are because we put things before the Lord, and we just have to be careful there. But Sarah here, you know, she's the first, first person, period, first person, not man, not just lady, first person uh, whose grave is named. And talked about, actually, if you look at it, you know, later, tomorrow, something like that, tonight before you go to bed, Genesis chapter 23, whole chapter about uh, Sarah's death and how she's buried. And Abraham, you know, a lot of the patriarchs had more than one wife. Abraham was one of the few patriarchs, founding fathers, who had one wife. And even though, you know, he did that little deal with the Pharaoh of Egypt and Abimelech the king, when Sarah died, he buried her, and it was very, cu- the custom at the time was like an almost open grave, you know, out, and just allow the elements to dissolve the body and that kind of stuff. But he purchased property and put her in a cave and buried her. And when he died, guess who he was buried next to? He had them bury him, bury a- himself, Abraham, next to Sarah. And you know, for me, that's, again, if he's the representative of the Father God, then he wanted to be with his bride for eternity. See, there's not ever going to be a time the Father's not going to be with you, praise the Lord. Amen? And there are some things that we just need to realize and see that God's talking to us about these things. And Abraham and Sarah were very interesting, and particularly Sarah in her situation, where she had to believe God just as much as Abraham did. We give Abraham a lot of credit, but you see, if Sarah wasn't believing God, then you sometimes you need both ends believing God to get the miracle that you need. Amen? And in that particular situation, in creating a child, then you need both people kicking in and believing God so that it can occur. And remember this, in Genesis chapter 22, the first healing in the Bible was when Abraham prayed because Abimelech the king had taken Sarah. Listen, she was 90 years old. 
She was so good looking that a king who had a harem, that means a bunch of women that he could have sexual intercourse with, when he saw her, he wanted her at age 90. Believe God, ladies. Amen. Some of you guys need to believe God, too. You know, because we see here that they supernaturally conceived. Abraham was a hundred, everybody say a hundred, when he conceived Isaac. He was right at 99, he was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And so, you know, we don't know, he's 99 and, and six months, you know, and then six, nine months later he's a hundred and, and uh, you know, Isaac is born. But he was 99 years old when Isaac was conceived, a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And so, and Sarah was 90 years old, and she had faith in what God said he was faithful to do it. Amen? And that's what he points out here at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. He says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, the first thing you have to do is get your eyes off yourself. So many times, see, we're thinking it's about us. It's about our body. Listen, as long as Sarah, and you know the story, when after about 13 years from Genesis chapter 12, when God first promised Abraham that he was going to have a son until, you know, Isaac's uh, born, you got almost 25 years. But from the time of the first promise to where Sarah led Abraham or brought Hagar to Abraham and said, here, have my handmaiden. And uh, because in that time and age, if you had a handmaiden, they could have a child. And that was like you having a child because your handmaid had a child. And as a result of that, you know, the father or the husband at that time then still produced the seed. And God said, no, it's from you and your relationship with Sarah. It's not Ishmael. And he told Abraham, because Abraham went back to God and said, hey, God, why can't you let Ishmael be the one that you're going to have the covenant with? And God said, no. Everybody say, no. God will do some things, but there are some plans that God has, and you've got to line up with his plan instead of your own plan. It's a whole lot easier when you line up with his plan than your own plan. And we can get our eyes on how we think God ought to bless us. And that's literally what happened with Abraham and Sarah is they've been going at this thing for 13 years. I'm sure Abraham was complaining all the time. Well, here we go again, baby. we got to try this again, you know. And so at, they're up there in their years, and so, you know, nothing's working. And so finally Sarah says, well, here's Hagar. You can have Hagar. She conceives right away. And God, listen, there's, two, there's only about seven people in the Old Testament that God told them their name before they were born. One was Isaac and one was Ishmael. So two out of the five are Abraham's descendants. Ishmael became the father of Islam and Muslim as the world as we know it. And of course, Isaac is the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of Judaism and the nation of Israel and the covenant person that God kept the covenant with. But you have to understand, you see, what happened with Sarah and Abraham is they were assisting God and how they were going to have the promise fulfilled. Sometimes we do that. We get a promise, we pray, we get a leading of the Holy Spirit, and God says, do something, and if we're not careful, we'll step out and get in the flesh, and we start trying to make happen 
what we want to have happen. I'm going to tell you, personally, it takes a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer, to get your flesh to shut up and, and not produce what you want. Because, you know, we, we pretty well can, we can find a lot of Scripture to justify what we're believing God for. Well, Pastor, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yes, but you know you're supposed to keep finding Scripture until it dings in here, not up here. Now, in John chapter 20, I just want to tell you the difference between dinging here, because, see, the Holy Ghost lives in here, your innermost being. We say heart, whatever, heart, stomach, whatever, he, but the Holy Ghost is in you. And he leads us and guides us, amen? And there's a difference in faith between Thomas and Abraham. Thomas' faith, we looked at that a little bit, you know, John chapter 20, uh, Mary Magdalene runs out there and, and there's, you know, has that conversation with the angel, looks in the tomb, the body is gone, she comes back, tells the guys, I don't know where they've taken him, I don't know what's going on, and Peter and John take off, and of course, you know, uh, you know, John gets there before Peter, and then Peter runs right past John into the tomb, and, and he... Peter's not sure what's going on, but John believes, hey, this something supernatural's happened. And I know that's true because John said, talking about himself, and he believed, talking about him. He, he believed, you know, that something awesome was going on. They go back to their buddies, and their buddies are, you know, uh, nobody really knows what's going on. They're all locked up. They're hidden away. They're trying to hide because they figure they're the next ones to be crucified. Jesus shows up, the doors are locked, the windows are locked. He shows up and shows them his hands, shows them his side, and then talks and ministers to them, breathes on them according to John chapter 20, verse, I think verse 25, uh, or verse maybe 21, breathes on them, says receive the Holy Ghost. You know what happens when Jesus breathes on you and says receive the Holy Ghost? You get the Holy Ghost. And, and that's what we call being born again because the See, in Act, it's not till Acts chapter 1 until the Holy Ghost descended and fell on them. They got baptized with the Holy Ghost the evidence speaking in tongues. But they got born again in John chapter 20. There's a difference between being born again and receiving the Holy Ghost with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit when you get born again. Your spirit man gets recreated. The Holy Ghost moves in. You become a child of God. But then there's an empowerment that comes to live the Christian life by receiving the Holy Spirit, praise God. And Jesus said it was imperative for him to leave so the Holy Spirit could come because it was to our advantage for the Holy Ghost to come and to help us, to lead us, to guide us, and to comfort us, praise God. So you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost so bad, Jesus said, I'm leaving so you can get him. And I believe as Jesus is going up, the Holy Ghost is coming down. They do a tag team like the WWF. And the devil's been kicking the, I mean, the Holy Ghost's been kicking the devil's butt ever since. Amen? But we need to see something here that in that time, eight days later, because Thomas wasn't with him the first time Jesus shows up, eight days later, Jesus shows up again. And he says to Thomas, and this is proof that God hears everything you say. That's a scary thought right there. Everything you say. Jesus shows up and says to Thomas, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Put your fingers right here in the hole of my hand. Put your hand right here 
in the hole in my side. And don't be found faithless, but believing. And Thomas goes, oh, my Lord and my God, you know. And I don't think Thomas ever doubted after that again, praise the Lord. Amen? And, and see, we like to think sometimes, you know, if somebody did something like that, if we saw something like that, we'd be a believer. We'd catch it. Amen? We'd get it right. I mean, if an angel showed up and talked to you, you know you would believe whatever that angel said, right? Right? Did I get any help at all tonight? Is anybody here awake besides me? And, uh, you know, okay. So, but we see in Luke chapter 1, that's not true. Zacchaeus, he's in the temple doing his duty, you know, as a, he's the father of uh, John the Baptist. And, you know, he, him and his Elizabeth are old. They haven't had kids either like Abraham and Sarah. And he's in there talking to God. He's doing his thing, doing the incense, all that kind of stuff. He's talking to the Lord, and he says, talking about having a kid. And we know he's talking about having a kid because the angel shows up on the right side of the altar and says, hey, the prayer you've been praying, you're going to get that prayer answered. This time, in the time of life, in other words, in nine months, you're going to have a son. And he's going to do all these great things. Tells him all these wonderful great things he's going to do. And you're going to name his name John. And, and Zacchaeus or Zacharias or whoever he is. Huh? Zacharias. Yeah, and Zacchaeus, the guy's up the tree. So Zacharias says to, to the angel, how do I know... Because I'm old. Now, you know, you got to remember who started this thing with Judaism. Abraham and Sarah were older than he is right now, him and Elizabeth. Listen, folks, don't count yourself out whatever it is you're believing God for. If God can do it for anybody, he can do it for you. If God's done it for somebody, he has to do it for you. Amen. But you got to sort out what is the will of God because you just cannot claim an arbitrary thing, oh, you did it for them, you got to do it for me. Well, the principle is, if you'll believe God, God will do whatever he does for anybody. God's not a respecter of persons. That doesn't mean it's God's will for your life. That's where the work comes in. That's where you got to pray. That's where you got to believe God. That's where you got to find a verse. That's where you got to, you know, deal with all the thoughts of insecurity and, and fight all the stuff that the devil's trying to do to distract you and keep you from walking in the word and the will and the ways of God. That's where Christianity begins to rise up and your faith in who God is stands up and says, I trust the Lord. Because you see, with Sarah and Abraham, until they were so old that absolutely nothing worked. Because it still worked with Hagar. And so Sarah had tried to produce in the flesh that which God had promised supernaturally. And God's kind of this way. He's, he's going to be all in it or he's going to be all out of it. And what we do lots of times is we try to help him. We find ways to help him. And we've all done it where, you know, well, you know, the Lord says or this is or something like that. And we begin to pray. Listen, you know, so many times, I'll just use the ministry, for example. And it's so sad. It's so sad. I've watched it happen around here a number of times. You know, people prophesy over some dumb kid. And they tell them they're called to the ministry. And they're called to be an apostle. They're called to be a prophet. Nobody ever tells you you're called to be a pastor. I've never heard one prophecy over anybody, oh, you're called to be a pastor. Not one time. 
except in my own life of Pastor Earl and Bobby Moore. They call, they did tell us, well, you're called to be a pastor, and, and God's going to use you and all that kind of stuff. Huh? Yeah. And pastor and I'm an apostle, but, you know, pastor first. And uh, so, you know, and I am an apostle to Ukraine, but that's a whole different story. Let's not go there right now. So, but, you know, it being spiritual, everybody say spiritual. And, and, and Earl, you guys have been around a long time. Do you ever have anybody called out? Come out here, brother. I call you to be a pastor. No, but a prophet, an apostle. Oh, boy, we like to tell people they're going to be awesome. How about they learn how to tie their shoes first in Jesus? How about they get some, you know, character develop in their life to where the anointing and the stuff that they're trusted with will actually not destroy them or destroy other people. You know, so I've watched it happen so many times where in the name of being spiritual, people try to help God out. You know, that's where those little saints, and, you know, some were called and, and some were sent and others just got up and went. And there's some things like that you can just do. You can just decide, I'm going to go do something for God. And you can go out there and just do something for God. But it's a whole lot better when you know that God called you and God has appointed you and God has anointed you and God has sent you. You can do good stuff. But it takes work to find out the will of God. And that's where Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're 25 years getting to the place where they finally let go of all their reason, rationale, and carnal, physical, fleshly ways of doing things. And finally, when they got to the place where they could do nothing, God said, I'll get the glory. I'll get the credit for this one. And then, and then, Sarah conceived. And, you know, I just think that's awesome. She was 90. And she was still beautiful at 90. I mean, they were still, the king Abimelech, she's 89 years old. When he got her from Abraham, uh, you know, and took her from Abraham, and, you know, God gave him a dream at night, said, don't touch that woman. If you touch that woman, you're going to die. He said, well, he, he, he told me he was his sister. He says, I know, in the integrity of your heart, you're doing the right thing, or you didn't think you were sinning against that man, but I'm telling you, if you touch her, you'll die, and everybody in, that's yours will die. And so he woke up that next morning, told everybody what God said to him, and he restored Sarah back to Abraham. He asked Abraham, why did you tell me that? What, do you know what you did? And, you know, and, and then the next chapter, everybody say the next chapter. I think that's chapter 21. Then Sarah conceived Isaac. The very next chapter, the very, the very next time. We're looking at 25 years almost in. And lots of times, see, we're trying to have what God has promised us that takes a while for us to believe God for. You say, Pastor, well, I don't have 25 years. Listen, you don't know what kind of time you have. But here's one of the things. You don't have to have 25 years if you won't do what Abraham and Sarah did, and that is try to make happen what God has promised. Well, Pastor Lowe, doesn't faith have to have works? Yes, it does. But you need to do what you believe God has led you to do. 
Don't copy what I've done. Don't copy what some other preacher has done. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, so-and-so was telling they gave this, then they did that. And, you know, I believe you've got to do that. We can do that. I, you know, this property right here on, that we're looking at, the 27.78 acres where New Life Christian Church and World Outreach is, we were looking at it, you know, and we brought our church at the time from, we were meeting at Lincoln School in the gymnasium. We came out here, we looked at the property, we were talking about buying it, you know, and uh, everybody was praying about it. And this lady said, well, we can just do what they did in Joshua. We can walk around the property seven times and God will give it to us, you know. And I said, did you ever notice God never did that deal again? One time, and it wasn't seven times, I said it was, I told her, I said it was 13 times. She goes, no, it was seven times. I said, no, it was 13 times. One time every day for six days, and then the last day, seven times. That makes 13. Then they shouted. Then the walls came down. See, if you're going to claim something somebody else did, at least try to get it right. See, we got people who know just enough Bible to be dangerous to themselves. And because we won't do the work. We won't take the time to pray and hear from God. We won't take the time and dig the nuggets out. We won't take the time and say, God, I want to do this thing your way. I don't want to try to copy something because some guy on TV or I heard it on a CD or I watch it on YouTube or, you know, I, I heard Pastor Lowe, you know, on the web or I heard some Jesse the Planets or somebody else teaching something and, you know, that sounds like a great idea. So I want to do what they did. You can't do what they did. You have to do what God told you to do. You can learn some things from them. We ought to learn some things. Everything they did, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the Bible says was for our example, for us to learn from. We should learn some things from them. It's better to learn from their experience than your own experience. Amen? And one of the things we have to learn from them is take the time to hear from God about His will in your life. And be led by the Spirit, not by your flesh, not by your own desires. Oh, the God will give us the desires of our heart. And He will. But God wants to give you the desires for your heart. And then God gives the desires of your heart. When He has first given you the desire for your heart, it's the desire He put in there. And then God will give you the desires of your heart. But he's not going to let you just take your Christmas wish list and demand from him that he fulfill your wish list. Amen. Your faith works when you've got word, when you've got promises. Your faith works when your character is in position. And, you know, there's things that we, and we see it in the natural, we can see it in the spiritual, that we're given, but our character cannot sustain it. Or lack of character cannot sustain it. And so it's very important, praise the Lord, that we make sure that we hear from the Holy Ghost. Amen? So we see these facts, you know, that, I mean, I just thought that was awesome when Sarah and Rahab were the only two women listed in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, you got the princess. That's what her name means is she is the ruling princess. She is the boss of applesauce. She's the top dog woman in the history of the nation of Israel. She is the 
mother of faith. She is the princess of princesses when it comes to Israel. Kings and rulers will come out of her, God said. And she just doesn't get the credit that she deserves. Because we, you know, always looking at Abraham, which, of course, Abraham, praise the Lord, God had to deal with him too. Man, what a painful price he paid several times. I don't know about you, but have you ever been publicly embarrassed? I have. And, uh, you know, I think about that situation with King Abimelech. You know, King Abimelech, and, and, you know, no king shows up without his whole entourage. If you're the king, you don't travel by yourself. You know that, right? You got guards, you got advisors, you got all kinds of people that go with you. They don't even know why they're going, but they're in that entourage. And they show up wherever you show up because that you're the king and they're attached to you and some form of duty and obligation, that kind of thing. Why is that important? Well, it's because King Abimelech comes out to Abraham to talk to him about how he lied to him about Sarah being his wife. And, and he almost died and his family almost died. And the whole kingdom was a, unable to have children because God had closed their womb temporarily to get their attention. And that's, I was going to say earlier, the first miracle in the Bible was when Abraham prayed for them and reversed that curse, and they got children and opened up their wombs again, praise God. Amen? So God wants people to have babies. But, you know, there's things if you're not careful, you start trying to make stuff happen in yourself rather than just enjoying what God has given you in and by faith. And it's a hard thing to separate because it's like, Hey, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Donna and uh, Glenn, her husband. My Lord, Glenn, her husband, this time uh, probably a year or so ago or, uh, you know, in the winter, Terry Johnson and I drove over to the Cleveland Clinic. If you remember, his leg was so full of affection, he was dying. He was dying. They were getting ready to cut his leg off. We drove over there and drove all night to get there and then prayed for him, turned around, drove back, you know, and thank God Terry did because I slept. And, uh. So we got over there, we prayed for him, stayed maybe an hour, prayed for him, turned around, come back. God took, you know, physicians, everything they did, worked, praise God, they saved his leg. And we believe the prayer made a difference as well in Jesus' name, amen. Or I wouldn't do that stuff. I wouldn't go over there all night long and come back if I didn't believe going and coming would make a difference, praise God. And the same thing, you know, with Jay Moorhead. Jay Moorhead sitting here, and years ago, you know, he was drinking and driving, flipped his car over five or six times, and had his leg broke, and they put an artificial bone in here or a piece of metal in here. And so he's had that all these years. It broke loose from his hip. The bones had just deteriorated. They weren't going to hold it anymore. They're, and all, time and time again, they tried to reattach it. And, you know, we're praying. We're believing God. And thank God he got a miracle. Thank God Glenn got a miracle. Thank God Donna got a miracle. You know, other people have gotten miracles. There have been several different situations like this man that was dying. I mean, last Wednesday night, we prayed for that man because his sister was very concerned. You know, please pray. They said he's going to die. And thank God, you know, he's out of that thing and he's ready to come home, praise God. Amen? And so, you know, but the thing is, there's times that if we're not careful, we lean too much on the medical world. We lean too much on the physical world. We lean too much on our own strategy. We lean too much on what somebody else said to do instead of doing the work of hearing from God and asking God what he wants us to do. 
That's what I'm trying to get across here tonight. That there's times, I think about in Acts chapter 12, where you got the disciples, man, and, and, uh, and it just says very quickly, you know, very quickly. Maybe it's a little later in Acts chapter, maybe Acts chapter 15, but uh, it says something along the line that uh, James's head was cut off. And then Peter escapes from prison just a few verses later. The doors open up. I mean, he's asleep. He's sound asleep. He's so asleep, it says literally the angel walks over and kicks him in the ribs. Now, I've been pretty sound asleep, but nobody's ever had to kick me in the ribs to get me awake. Kicked him in the ribs because the angel's trying to get him up, to get him out of there, out of prison, and he won't wake up, so he kicks him in the ribs. And he tells Peter, Peter, get up, get your cloak. And this is where the difference is between God and the movies in Hollywood and the way we make stuff happen. He says, put your cloak on, put your sandals on. I'll do what you can't do, which is open the door, and we're going to walk out of this place, okay? And here's the way Hollywood and, and we do it in our fantasy of our minds sometimes. The cloak comes off the hanger and floats across the room and supernaturally goes on Peter. The sandals slide across the floor and slide on Peter's feet and wrap themselves around his feet, and now he's ready to go. The angel said, you get up, you put your cloak on, you put your shoes on, I'll open the door. You see, in, in our faith fantasy world, we think somehow, someway, God's going to do for us what he has told us to do. God tells us to pray. God tells us to believe. God tells us to give. God tells us to lay hands on the sick. Well, there's times where people say, God, why do this? God, why are you doing this, God? And I'm looking right at him many times. I'm saying, you know, God told you to do it. And God won't do for you what he told you to do. Like in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, when it talks about put on the new man. Get rid of the old man. God won't renew your mind for you. That's why we have all these people that get saved and they don't stick in church and stay in church. In five years, you know, they're saved. They believe in Jesus. They'll tell people they're a Christian. They want to be a Christian. They want to live a Christian life, but they don't know how. They don't ever read their Bible. They don't ever pray. They don't ever come and learn anything. They don't ever get committed. They don't ever get submitted. They don't ever serve anybody else. Everything in their life is self-consuming. They picked up the culture of being a consumer, which is, I come to church for me. I don't come to church for anybody else. I don't come to church to hear the Word of God to be changed. I come to church to hear the pastor tell me I'm good and I can leave believing I'm good. Not that I need to change my life because I am living in a world that's turned upside down by the devil and I need to learn new ways to operate in this world. You know, in Hebrews it says we're pilgrims and sojourners here. We're temporary on assignment. You and I don't belong in this world anymore after you get born again. And this is the thing I know about traveling the world and going to countries where I, they speak different languages. They don't talk like me. Matter of fact, nobody in Indiana talks like me. So, you know, I'm on assignment in Warsaw, Indiana, because God told me to come to Warsaw. So get up there, redneck, preach the gospel, build a church, new life to the sinner, new life to the saint, build a Christian family church and reach the world the cost of the blood of Jesus. I know the assignment. 
I also know this. I can't talk like an unsaved person and expect the blessing of God to be on my life. I can't live like an unsaved person and expect the blessing of God to be on my life. I can't live in this world like I belong to this world. I'm in this world. I'm not of this world. I live by different principles. I live by different morals. I live by a different way. I'm a stranger here. I don't belong in Warsaw, Indiana. You don't belong in this world. Our citizenship, where we are living, where our life is, where our citizenship is, where our inheritance and where we will spend eternity is in heaven. We are creatures that are heaven-born, born of heaven, born again on assignment down here to make a difference in this world. But we don't belong here anymore. We can't live and walk and talk like earthlings, like the indigenous people of this earth. You and I are not indigenous people anymore. We are people that don't belong here. Our home is in heaven. That's our citizenship. And we need to talk like we are stranger and pilgrims. When we talk like the world, the world says, oh, you're like us. When we act like the world, the world says, oh, you're no different than me. You may go to church, but I go to the bar. You know, there's all these things that they judge us by. And the reason they judge us by is because they have a higher standard for us than many times the people in the church have for themselves. They expect more out of us than we do ourselves. We don't belong here, folks. Our faith in who we are in Christ ought to lift us up out of this world. And that's what Abraham and Sarah was finding out. They didn't belong in Egypt because of famine, because of a difficult time. People are starving to death. There's heat. There's no food. There's no water. And he left his inheritance. He left where he was supposed to be. And he goes down in Egypt. And while he's down there in Egypt, they pick up Hagar. Hagar, the Egyptian lady, becomes part of their entourage and becomes part of the problem that the world is dealing with today in producing the father of Islam, a Muslim. And as a result of that, God has had a situation that he's had to deal with and the nation of Israel's had to deal with because he went somewhere where he was not supposed to be. Well, pastor, all he was trying to do was live and survive. All he was trying to do is have his needs met. I get that, but sometimes the best way to get your needs met is to stay exactly where God's called you. Not go somewhere else and, let, and hook up with somebody that you're not supposed to be hooked up with. And produce an Ishmael in your life. A problem. And it doesn't always have to be a kid. It could be a business deal. It could be, you know, a variety of things that we get involved with. In ministry sometimes, there's a lot of people, you know, it's praying. There's a lot of more places you can go and preach than you should go. you got to hear from God. And yet at the same time, you know, you may go and find out, oh, no, I can't stay here. I need to move on out. Because, you know, you have a desire. The Bible says go, and Jesus said go, and people say go, and, and you're just going to go, and, and all that kind of stuff. Nobody's going to think anything about it, and I know I'm a little over time. I'll fade finishing here in just a moment, so those of you about ready to go to sleep, wake up just for a moment, I'll be done. But I'm telling you something, folks, you don't belong here. You don't belong in this world. 
It is not your citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so many times we're fighting for something here, and we ought to be fighting for something there. That's the only thing that's going to last forever. And if we don't live different, then the people who are observing our life, they're going to think we're like them instead of of a desire for them to be like you and I. Citizens of heaven living different in this world. I just told my staff again the other day, I might as well tell everybody, you know, but every now and then I just feel like people need to know. And because we run Celebrate Recovery here and because we help a lot of people struggling with addiction and those kind of things, I just told my staff, anybody ever gets pulled over with DUI, DWI, OWI, whatever those eyes are, that's your pink slip. You're done. You're fired. Immediately. I didn't fire you. You fired yourself. And the reason is because I don't want any person struggling with addiction come to this church and say, oh, you're like me. You drink like I do. No, our, we're not of this world. We're in it. We're not of it. You see, if somebody walks in my house and there's a cold beer in there that maybe has been there for eight months, the devil tells him immediately, oh, a pastor drinks too. Cool. He's like me. He's one of the boys. I'm not one of the boys. I'm always the pastor, no matter who I'm with and where I'm at. I can be friends, friendly, all those kind of things, but ultimately, I'm a pastor. And as a result of that, we're going to stay sober. We're going to try to hold the line. We're going to try to be the kind of people that Somebody can look to and say, if you can make it, I can make it. Instead of saying, I don't need to do anything because you're like me. Instead of saying, there's a higher way to live. There's a higher way to live. But it's not about yourself. Or you drink a little bit, you're going to go to hell? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I'm not saying you can't drink wine, you can't drink beer, but I'm not. And it's not because I'm proud about it. It's just because it's really hard when you're looking at somebody who's struggling with alcoholism and tell them, you can't even smell a bottle cap. Hey, I'm going to be down at the, well, we had Cozy Corner and the barn and the glass mug and uh, the pets and on my neighborhood street. That was in one block. We had four bars back in the day. None of them exist now, praise God. Oh, there's still one down there. They call it the rail. Yeah, they changed the name. They call it the rail. God have mercy. The things that have happened in that parking lot. Stand up with me. Let's pray.